This entire pre-draft process has been particularly frustrating for me, mostly because I don't know if I recall more misinformation swirling around a single player like it has been for Baker Mayfield during this process, ever. What really triggered me this time around was a hit that Brady Quinn did on Stuart Mandel and Bruce Feldman's podcast earlier this week. The two best national college football writers in the business invited Quinn on to discuss last weekend's Combine, most notably the quarterbacks who partook in drills for NFL teams on Saturday. As expected, the conversation turned quickly to discussion of the four spotlight signal callers in this year's draft, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, and Baker Mayfield. We're going to remove Josh Allen from this discussion entirely. There's no questioning his arm strength and his athletic makeup. He's a physical outlier. He's a freak uh, amongst all the quarterback prospects this year. So we're just going to throw him out for, for purposes of this monologue. Brady Quinn started off with saying things that certainly don't surprise those of us who have followed Mayfield throughout his entire time in Norman. Per Quinn, Mayfield handled himself very well throughout the interview process with various NFL teams. And on the field, he was also accurate throwing the football and his arm strength surprised people seeing him in person for the first time. Quinn then starts getting into the weeds with some of his comments, and it represents a broader trend I've seen from the media over the entire course of this pre-draft process. I want to break down each of Quinn's comments and why they irk me. First, when comparing Mayfield to Darnold and Rosen, Quinn is unsure how much better Mayfield can get from where he was in college. He then goes on to say that Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen are bigger guys who will continue to improve. In my mind, this is a silly comment because it implies that these three players were on equal footing in college. That, of course, is untrue in every sense of the word. I guess I agree, based on his production in college, there's really not much room for Baker to maneuver, up or down, what have you. Of course, that conveniently leaves out that Baker has consecutively put up the two best passing seasons by a quarterback in the history of college football. That's quite the footnote there. Not only were Darnold and Rosen not on the same level as Mayfield in college, they weren't in the same stratosphere, not in production, value, or wins. So what's Brady Quinn's argument here? That Darnold and Rosen having such a long way to go to match Mayfield's skill set is a good thing? That's nonsensical. I'll revisit his comments about size at the end of this argument, but then Quinn doubles down on his concerns with Baker, saying Mayfield will need a system with more talent around him that is suited for his strengths, and he'll also need to be in the shotgun, in the, in the shotgun more. Of course, we hear that all the time with, uh, w- with quarterbacks coming from air raid style systems. The implication here, like I said, is because Mayfield does come from those college air raid offenses, and his height will theoretically prevent him from running a traditional NFL offense that requires the quarterback to stand tall in the pocket. Quinn would go on to criticize Mayfield for not going through his reads in college as well, which is, I'll, I'll touch on that in a moment. This is a consistent argument I hear from a lot of NFL draft experts in the media. Do any of these analysts watch tape at all? How many snaps have Darnold and Rosen taken under center in college? Spoiler alert, they were pretty much always in the shotgun. Why isn't their ability to get under center questioned? Does them being 6'4 automatically make them more comfortable under center? This is also completely ignoring the fact that every competent offense in the NFL operates exclusively out of the shotgun. Philadelphia won a Super Bowl a month ago operating out of the shotgun about an, at, at about an 85% clip, but I digress. The comment about him not going through his reads is asinine to anyone who's watched meaningful tape on Mayfield. 
I'd argue that his ability to hold and look off defenders with his eyes is where he is most ahead of this draft class. Hell, I'd be willing to bet there aren't more than 10 NFL quarterbacks right now who are better than Mayfield in that regard. I'm going to sum all of this up with one question that I would like to ask every major NFL draft expert. Is the only reason Baker Mayfield not the unquestioned number one pick in this draft because he's two and a half inches shorter than Darnold and Rosen? Because based on his tape, intangibles, and sheer volume of difficult throws that he's completed at the college level, he's the best thrower of the football I've seen since Andrew Luck. Period. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. With a three-point lead, Oklahoma's got it first and goal at the Nebraska eight-yard line. And around, Josh Norman. Norman, touchdown! They named the city after him for that score. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Josh Norman welcomes us into another episode of West of Everest. Norman's eight-yard touchdown run on an end-around gave the Sooners a 10-point second-quarter lead over Nebraska back on October 28, 2000. OU went on to beat the Huskers 31-14, which capped the fabled Red October run of 2000. Hello, everyone. I'm Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the beginning with the opening take. We'll bring him back in a moment. We've got a lot to talk about today, including Lincoln Riley's spring football opening presser, the NFL Combine, and an ugly bedlam rematch in basketball. But before we get to all of that, I want to remind you that West of Everest is on Facebook. If you're also on Facebook and you like the show, please find us at West of Everest. Give us a like, give us a follow. That way you'll be alerted to when we go live and also you can post Uh, You can post any comments, questions. We'll also post updates on the Facebook page. For instance, we posted earlier this week on Facebook that the show would be delayed until Friday. So if you liked us on Facebook, you got those alerts. You can also leave us messages and whatnot on Facebook, as I said a moment ago. Grant and I check it all the time, so we'll be able to get back to you ASAP if you have any comments or questions. If you'd like to contact us the old-fashioned way, go ahead and email the show, westofeverest at gmail.com. Again, that is westofeverest at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at LeeBensonNews9. Follow Grant on Twitter at GrantBenson25. All right, so let's dive right on in. First off, I want to go back to Josh Norman and that intro. Last month, we highlighted Sooners who wore the number two. So this month, we're highlighting Sooners who wore the number three. First up was my favorite Sooner to ever wear number three. That was Josh Norman. Grant, do you have any big-time memories of Josh Norman? Just that one right there that you just played right before. Um, I I think kind of the iconic shot that I think a lot of Sooner fans remember is the right after he scores, kind of that that tight shot on him uh, that shows sort of the entire stadium behind him. You can see everyone going nuts. I think that's kind of the uh, the picture that everyone remembers, especially from that that Nebraska game. What a game that was! Uh, Eighteen and a half years ago, that game was. That's insane if you think about it. Ah, seventeen and a half years ago. You know, I was going back looking, finding uh, that Josh Norman play because, yeah, I'm with you. I that that was the play that I remembered, and I remembered it was from that Nebraska game. It seemed like he always 
took the handoff on those end arounds. It's almost like, in a way, he was like the Jordan Smallwood of the 2000 team, but probably utilized. Not probably. He definitely was utilized a lot more than Smallwood was, uh, was utilized in 2017 for OU. The end around play, that iconic touchdown run, I had forgotten, though, that Nebraska game. Did you know or did you remember that Nebraska got up on the OU 14 and nothing? Yeah, they were get they got uh they kind of got stomped in the in, in the first I quarter totally of that game. I totally forgot that they got down 14 nothing. The thing that kind of changed everything in that game was the miracle catch by Andre Wolfolk, if everyone remembers that. Sort of uh the one that's kind of like the immaculate reception, the one that he caught on his back. Um Oh yeah, yeah. That that, that that was just that was kind of the signaling that everything changed in that game. And you know, after after Nebraska got up fourteen to nothing, they didn't do a, a thing on offense the rest of the game. That's that that's a fun game to go back and rewatch. Um if everyone wants to go on, on YouTube. I think there's there's a bunch of versions of it on YouTube. Go check it out. Uh, what a what a game that was. I, I can't even imagine how fun it would have been to be there. So Josh Norman, the first number three we highlight. We have three more March shows, so that means we'll have three more former OU Sooners who wore number three. So stay tuned throughout the entire month to see who else we showcase in the intros for the show. OU spring practice is here. Grant Lincoln Riley met with the media Thursday for his kickoff press conference. The Sooners first practice is this Saturday morning. Then OU will practice Tuesday and Thursday next week. Then get away for spring break. Then OU will come back, finish up before the spring game on April the 14th. Riley said that they're close to making public some of the plans for the spring game. And he says they've got some cool things that will change up the spring game and make it even better than it has in the past. Uh, it's also a big recruiting weekend. So Lincoln Riley's trying to really blow out the spring game. And before we started this podcast, you were, you were telling me that you're incredibly interested to see what they come up with to make people interested in the spring game and to get what Lincoln Riley wants 80,000 people to Owen field in, in April, which sounds incredible. That's, that sounds insane. And I'm, like I said, I, I have no idea how they're going to do that. So I'm very intrigued to see what they're going to come up with to, to get 80,000 people in those seats. Because if you've ever watched a spring game, they're, they're not the most exciting, uh, not the most exciting brand of football in the world. So it'll, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see if they're going to tweak kind of the structure of the game at all or if they're going to make it more of a party atmosphere. Uh, I'm really interested to see what they come up with. And just for context sake, from what I've heard back when I was, and this probably isn't a secret, you know, and I was covering Texas A&M football, Alabama came up a lot. Alabama gets sellouts for their spring game. So 80,000 at Owen Field and Norman in April would be Alabama-level interest in college football. And uh, if Oklahoma can get – obviously, Oklahoma football is incredibly uh, – there's a lot of people that are interested in Sooners football. But 80,000 people for a spring game, that's unheard of even for OU. So I think I, we'll I think, see. Did you hear? I think it was something obscene like Nebraska sold out their spring game in like, 20, yeah. in like 24 hours or something like that. And they're even charging for the spring game. I mean, people are paying money to go to that, and it's sold out. They got the Scott Frost fever. <laughs> A couple injury notes that Lincoln Riley noted at the start of his press conference. Freshman Starlin Baldwin came into OU. He's one of the early enrollees. Uh, he came in with an injury that Oklahoma knew about, Riley said. So Baldwin will not be part of spring ball. Uh, he will rehab and recover. Also, and I just found out about this yesterday, there was a Q&A that Lincoln Riley put out, or I guess that was, that was asked of Lincoln Riley before his press conference, and um, 
couple of guys had off-season surgery, off-season surgeries that I was not aware of. Michael Jones and Caleb Kelly. So those two players will not be participating in spring ball. Also, of course, Nick Basquin will not. We know about another Achilles injury for him. And then he also added, Lincoln Riley that is, he added that Alex Dalton and Jordan Parker will both be limited in spring ball. Of course, both of them coming off of off-season surgeries. Did uh, did I just miss that Caleb Kelly, Michael Jones news, or is that something that you just found out about too, Grant? Nope, I just found out about that today as well. So I think they, and yeah, I found out about that this morning when when Mike Houck, the uh, I, what's his is he the SID Lee at, mm-hmm. at OU? Yeah, mm-hmm. so he yeah. he he put out yeah he he put out a Q and A. Uh, I saw that on Twitter and. And that was one of the first things mentioned in there that Michael Jones and Caleb Kelly would be out. I think they said shoulder surgery for both of them. Was it okay? I didn't look that detailed into it. Um, so I don't just, uh, don't don't quote me on that. That's that's uh, that's what I remember is that both of them had sh- uh, shoulder actually, surgery. So, um, anywho, yeah, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I, I got to think they're just kind of cleanup surgeries. We didn't we we didn't know of any sort of you know serious injury for either of them over the course of the season. So, um, I, I don't think it's anything to be too insanely concerned about i have the article up right now and both jones and kelly's injuries their surgeries were not specified so we are not sure about shoulder or not so okay, the I only can't... one that was specified was nick basquin with the achilles okay yeah I, I can't remember then where i saw the uh the shoulder injury i'll maybe i'll look into that more and i'll provide more info next week All right, so we're going to play some sound bites from Lincoln Riley's opening press conference. I got a chance to go down to Norman and be a part of it. Um, A lot of times during the season back in in the fall, I was off on Mondays. I went to a couple, but didn't get out to every press conference for Lincoln Riley. But since it's been over two months since the season ended, and we're all just starved for football, I I wanted to go down to, to Norman and hang out, listen to Lincoln Riley talk about some football. So first off, Riley was asked by Eric Bailey from the Tulsa World about the quarterback situation. And this is the big deal coming in for the first time in years. It's not Baker Mayfield. So we all kind of assume it's Kyler Murray. But Bailey prefaced the question by mentioning that, yeah, we're all assuming that Kyler Murray will be the guy. And Bailey asked Riley, hey, how has the redshirt year helped Austin Kendall? And so Riley answered this question by kind of pushing back on all the assumptions that Kyler Murray is locked in as the starter. Yeah, you know, first thing I'd say, there's zero assumptions in our building. So all that on the outside is is what it is. It's noise. You know, it's uh, it has nothing to do with this competition. Uh, uh, I, Austin's, I think, just motivated to, to come compete. I mean, that's what I, I actually met with him the other day, and I said, hey, this is why you came all the way from North Carolina uh, to come to Oklahoma was to have a chance to be the guy here. And this is, you know, this is a, a great opportunity. Um, Last year really benefited him. Um, he is the healthiest that he's ever been. He's the he's in the best shape uh, from a strength perspective that he's ever been. And then just the value of day in and day out going against our defense every single day, being able to really push himself off the field because he wasn't saving up for a game. You just see a difference with the kid right now. There's, there's no doubt. He's in a you know, he did a great job for us as the backup two years ago, uh, especially in a tough situation as a true freshman. Uh, but I, he is in a great place right now to, to go compete and make a serious run at that, as are, our other, as are Tanner Schaefer and Kyler. I mean, I, I told him the day I could care less who it is. I just want him to be good. So two things from that, Grant. One, that nothing is assumed within that locker room. So basically saying that 
there is no starter named at this point. And then towards the very end of that, when he says, I don't care who it is, I just want it to be good, I think that's Sooner Nation basically uh, wholesale that we just want to, you know, Oklahoma fans want the Sooners quarterback to be good. Uh, is it good to know that Riley isn't just handing the job over to Kyler Murray? Yeah, of course. And I know there's been a lot of talk, you know, over the course so far of him playing baseball in the spring. And I think, you know, this is this may be a direct uh, response to that. Or maybe not. Maybe they just want to foster competition, open competition. And I, Austin Kendall is not, he's, you know, he's not a wet blanket. Uh, Austin Kendall's a good player. He's a guy who I think is is every bit as capable of being a good starter at the University of Oklahoma. You know, he, he did impress as a true freshman in his, in his backup role. So I think obviously Kyler's probably a little more dynamic athletically, uh, but we'll see. I, I, we don't know. You know, this is going to be Austin's third year in this program now, um, and that's that's not insignificant. So I, I think it's a good thing to foster competition, obviously, and and who knows? I mean, w- would it be a bad thing if Austin Kendall is just is so good that you have to give him the job? I don't think that'd be a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it, too, um, you kind of mentioned, is this in direct response to Murray playing baseball? Hey, we're not going to give you the job right away. I think it could be a little bit of both, honestly, but competitive everyone in in sports is competitive obviously and it's very rare for coaches just to hand over starting spots even at quarterback unless some guy somebody's ingrained in the system like a baker mayfield the starter two years three years so uh not surprising that he's not just going to give the job to kyler murray lincoln rally did also touch again on murray playing baseball at his press conference it comes up every time it seems like and and really the the general sense is that it's not going to really affect spring ball at all Murray's not going to miss any spring practices. In fact, Lincoln Riley said that Murray is going to be at practice on Saturday, practice number one for spring ball, and then later in the day, OU baseball has a doubleheader, and Riley made the joke that Kyler will probably sleep pretty well that night. So it's on Kyler Murray to get through the entire spring playing both sports, and I I think Riley mentioned that, and this is in the Q&A as well, that he might miss one baseball game that Kyler Murray and that's it and of course out of an entire baseball season missing one game is not that big of a deal considering there's uh, even at the college game I mean they play 40 50 of them or I could be that could be too high they play I can't 60. Remember, but they play 60, 60 games. yeah I mean so uh so it sounds like that's not going to be that much of an issue and uh there'll be an open competition at quarterback let's stick with the offense Another huge departure, aside from Baker Mayfield, of course, Dimitri Flowers. We'll talk about Flowers later on when we touch on the combine. Riley was asked Thursday how he intends to replace Dimitri Flowers. Yeah, Carson Meyer will be, you know, will be in the middle of it, and Jeremiah Hall will be in the middle of it. I mean, those are those are definitely the the, the top two right now. I uh, want to take a look at those guys. It's yeah, it's a it's an interesting position, you know, because I think it's you know what you do at that position is very you got to really lean on what the individual guys can do um and you know Dimitri you know was able to do a few things earlier in his career and obviously built up into being able to do so much and so you know we got to find the best guy but also it'll be on us as coaches to make sure we you know we're putting them in good situations and putting them having them in there doing things that they're good at and then we'll hopefully continue to to build that skill set, but it's it's a big part of our offense. Uh, Jeremiah Carson's will be you know similar in a way to uh, to Alvarez and uh, Creed Humphrey's battle. You know, kind of two guys at different ends of it, but two guys that are talented. They've been in the system and and uh, they know that if you win that job, there's a lot of good opportunities. 
So, Grant, were those two of the names that you figured would be in the running to take over that H-back role for Dimitri Flowers when we discussed the uh, the way-too-early predictions for starters a couple weeks ago? Well, yeah, those are the only guys really on the roster at that position. So I think just by by process of elimination, it has to be those two. And so... I don't know. I've, I'm, I, I think this is going to be a, a position where they really struggle to find a replacement. Um, Carson Meyer really hasn't been able to get on the field at all. He's a redshirt senior, so this is going to be his fifth year in the program. And, of course, he's been, he's been blocked by Dimitri Flowers. And, and then, of course, Jeremiah Hall, who is a member of the 2017 signing class. And we just really haven't heard a lot about him. You know, he, he looks the part in terms of size. He's 6'2", 240. Um, so, you know, pretty similar to Dimitri Flowers in that, in that sense, maybe even a little taller, but kind of a right around the same same weight. So, it, you know, it, it's all going to be depend on how multiple Jeremiah Hall is and Carson Meyer and just you know, how, how proficient they are at doing multiple things, which is exactly what Dimitri Flowers excelled at. I mean, he played essentially five different positions at Oklahoma. And so, you know, those guys like that don't, don't grow on trees. So it, it'll be interesting to see where they go with or who they go with in that position. Um, as of now, I think you got to give the, the, the early nod to Carson Meyer just because, you know, he, he's been there longer. He's, he's a bit bigger. Also don't, don't sleep on Braden Willis. He's, he's going to come in in the summer. He's part of the 2018 class. I, I think it's probably a little too soon for him to get involved maybe this year, but uh, just look at his tape. He's, he, he looks to be, you know, an elite level athlete. He's, he's a guy who, who I think is is probably more athletic than both Hall and Meyer, so it'll be about him just getting into a, a college program, uh, college strength and conditioning program, and just just being physically ready to play at that level. But yeah, I, I'd be lying if I if, if I told you I I wasn't concerned about that position because I I am. Two other players that Riley mentioned during that soundbite: Jonathan Alvarez and Creed Humphrey, talking about the center competition, and um, that's another position that we discussed in our way too early predictions and who will start and those are the two players of course that most people figured would be uh, up for that starting center job I think you think that Creed Humphrey will, will win the job I was leaning more towards Alvarez um, I guess it's nice to confirm that those are the two players that will be competing for the job at least right now and uh, no no sense today uh, I say today on Thursday the day of the press conference no sense at all on, on who has an edge right now and um, we'll be just kind of keeping track of that position battle as well it's interesting that they got to replace a quarterback and a center so it's not just one or the other so there's a whole dynamic there and, and that was brought up by one of the the reporters today at the press conference I can't remember who who asked the question I apologize whoever it was but that was that was a good question a good dynamic I think it might have been Tyler Palmatier from the Norman transcript so we're gonna stick with offense Grant and another huge loss Orlando Brown figuratively and for real. I mean, he's he's a huge person and he's a huge loss in the offensive line. Three-year starter at left tackle. Here is how Riley approached the question of how do you replace a guy like Orlando Brown? Yeah, we've got some pretty good options. You know, I mean, I think, you know, we've got two two guys that have played, you know, a lot of tackle here. Uh, and, you know, obviously Bobby Evans, I mean, is going to be a factor. Uh, you know, we would hope, to be able to leave, uh, you know, Drew Samia inside. You know, he's really played so well for us at guard there the last couple of years. But we all know he started, you know, for a whole year uh, as a right tackle, as a as a true freshman as well. So I think, I think there's that option. Um, but we're gonna we're not gonna start that way. We're gonna give, you know, Adrian Ely, uh, Quinn Mittermeier, Eric Swenson, um, 
you know, we'll get uh, Bray Walker, uh, Daryl Simpson here in, in uh, uh, this summer. So we're going to give those guys a first look. And if we had our way, one of those guys would would take over that other tackle spot. And uh, so that, that's going to be the first crack at it. And then uh, if that's not where we're where we're best, then we'll we'll make some moves from there. All right. So a lot of names mentioned there by Lincoln Riley. And what does this sound like to you, Grant? And actually, now that I listen to it again, I think I know what Riley was saying, but I want to get your take on it. Did you get the sense that he's saying that Bobby Evans is actually going to stick at right tackle and then all those other guys will get a crack at replacing Brown at left tackle? Or did he pretty much admit that Bobby Evans is going to move over to left tackle while all those other guys get a shot at right tackle? Well, Lee, so there's there's another angle to this to this story that we actually haven't even touched on on this podcast yet. And I think there's there's just another piece of the puzzle that you know has yet to drop yet. And I, I think we need to wait until we get more information. And that is um, they are the Sooners are pursuing a grad transfer left tackle right now from Rice named Calvin Anderson. He is a he's an all-conference USA pick. I think um, I had saw something along the lines of he's he's probably a mid-round draft po- prospect. He is a left tackle. He's a big guy. Um, he is deciding this weekend where he will be go to or where he is going to school. I believe it is down to OU in Texas, of course. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. And I think obviously if if he decides to come to Oklahoma, you can just go ahead and plug him right in at left tackle. It's not very often you get you have, you know, a, a mid-round you know, tackle prospect just drop right in the middle of your lap. So I think that would obviously be best case scenario, being able to just plug in Calvin Anderson if if he decides Oklahoma. Not a lot of info about you know which way he's leaning either way on there. So uh, we'll we'll find out about more more about that this weekend. But you know, assuming that Calvin Anderson does not come, uh, to me, Lee, I actually took that as I. To me, I read that as they they are just thinking about keeping Bobby at, at right tackle. That's. Um, and I don't think it's any sort of, it's not an accident at all. You know, when he, when he reeled off, who would be competing for that left tackle spot? Adrian Neely is the first guy that he mentioned. Um, I, that, that means something. And I, I think I, I said it was Adrian Neely, right? Well, I think I, I figured he would play right tackle. Correct. Um, yeah, yeah. We both assumed. And, and after listening to it again, that was, I think the first time you heard that. That was the third or fourth time I've heard it. And I think now that uh, I listened to it again, he made a comment towards the end that, the other guys would compete for that other spot. And I think that, to me, that kind of sounded like he meant that he had, he either one of two things, like you said, either Anderson picks OU and boom, left tackle. So therefore, obviously, that right tackle spot's open. Oh, actually, never mind, never mind, because because Bobby Evans is right there. Uh, to, to me, it sounds more like Bobby Evans is going to move over to left tackle and then the other players will will compete for that right tackle spot. And then, obviously, he he did mention Drew Samia, uh, but it sounds like they'd like to keep Samia inside playing guard which and Sam- you know Samia's initially better. my thoughts you know my thoughts were that Samia would move over and play tackle but uh um right now they don't want him to do that yeah I I think Samia is better at guard he he struggled at times his uh, you know admittedly his true freshman year at right tackle um yeah you know I, this all just kind of hinges on on what Calvin Anderson decides and, and I, I think it obviously it would be great if, if he picked OU um it would be you know wonderful to just plug in an NFL draft prospect right away. And of course, you know, this is a guy, you know, who hasn't, who hasn't been coached by, by, by beating Bo yet. So, you know, he, there may be some more to, to get out of this kid. So um, I, I think it'd be pretty nifty if, if the Sooners could land Calvin Anderson. And um, if that's the case, the offensive line would, you know, again, be looking like a pretty overwhelming strength for OU. All right. So stay tuned on the Oklahoma offensive line. We'll have more news on that next week in next week's episode of West of Everest. Let's switch over to the defense now. And, and actually, not too many defensive questions asked of Riley on Thursday. 
But there was one that caught my attention. Kenneth Murray, a player that you and I disagreed on a few weeks ago when we were predicting who would start on opening day. Way too early predictions. I think Murray's going to continue to play in the middle. You were expecting him to move to his more natural spot somewhere on the outside. Lincoln Riley was asked if Murray would switch positions this year. And here is what Riley said. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, our certainly our initial plan will be him staying at Mike. You know, he had a good, you know, a full season of that. You know, learned so much and got so much better throughout the year. But he does bring a skill set that, you know, could allow for potential changes if that's what made sense for the team. So uh, you love having those guys that you're very happy if they stay at their position. But if it works out better that we need him somewhere else even more, that he can physically and, and, and now mentally go handle that. I mean, once you've played Mike, it's kind of like playing quarterback. you got to know what everybody's doing. And so if he had to make a move now, I think he would you know, be able to do it pretty quickly. So he, he gives us some versatility, but right now he's, he's, uh, he's, he's definitely penciled in at Mike. So Grant, Lincoln Riley keeping, keeping his options open for Kenneth Murray. So it looks like they want him to stay in the middle, but if things change, then there's flexibility there to move him somewhere else so I'm sure you like to hear that I I read I read that entire quote as they're they're waiting for someone to take it from them is that that's how I read it um because he because he left the door open there for sure um so obviously I I I think it does make sense um that they're gonna that of course they're gonna keep him there for now um you know that makes sense he's your starting returning middle linebacker you know having that been said I I do think he fits he fits better other ways and I'm I'm just gonna have to just just disagree with Lincoln Riley about about Kenneth Murray getting better over the course of the year. I flatly disagree about that. I, I thought I, I, th- I thought from where he was uh, in Columbus against Ohio State and compared to in Pasadena in the Rose Bowl, he was much worse. And so I, I thought he got worse as the year went on, to be honest with you. So um, I'm... Um, I, I'm just picturing. I'm picturing you at the press conference Thursday after he says that, and you, hold, hold on. Actually, Coach, I, I'm gonna have to disagree with you on that one. Uh, didn't quite see that uh, from uh, this side of the room. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, obviously, of course, you know, I'm not. I, 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 I no. I mean, I, obviously, that's not gonna happen. It's just, yeah, there's it's, that's it's a funny there, thing to think about. There, there, there's still some coach speak involved with this, and of course, he's not gonna trash on Kenneth Murray, Lincoln Riley, and Mike Stoops. Both know that they need. They need better production. They need better play out of their middle linebacker. They're not, you know, they're they're smart individuals. At least I I hope so. So it's not they they know that they were very very below average that position last year. But they're not going to come out in the media and, and rip their nineteen year old you know kid who plays that position. So, um, you know I no, yeah. So I I you know I I just I it makes sense to me. And of course he's penciled in at Mike right now. Um, but that does not mean that that they're not going to allow people to come in. But you know, also there there's there's a lot of youth at that position, and I'm I'm not sure how viable it is for someone to come in and, and take that position from him. So, and I I admit that when I, you know, when I predicted that they would move him over to weak side linebacker, you know, a few weeks ago, when we did those predictions, uh, that, admittedly that was maybe more of what I hope to happen um and i hope someone steps up and takes that spot from him because I, I athletically physically kenneth murray is absolutely he looks the part he's a guy that should be playing linebacker in the big 12 uh I, he just he just doesn't play the middle very well and i it would he'd be better served in my opinion if he was not playing out of position come to think of it maybe the key word in that entire soundbite from lincoln riley was penciled because you can erase a pencil 
And right now, he's penciled in at Mike. And when you ask Lincoln Riley about depth charts and where people are, he, and this was how it was last fall in August, where it took him a long time to release a depth chart finally because there were so many changes. And I think they were trying to make it a whole thing, too. They wanted to release the depth chart and make it a, a big deal. So they kind of waited and waited and waited. And so to wrap up the Lincoln Riley presser portion of this pod, I got a chance to ask Riley if the idea of a depth chart comes to mind at all in the spring. Here's what Riley had to say. It's definitely a moving target right now. I mean, we, we've got a starting point, of course, in our offices. we got a, you know, a starting point with new players, even some of the guys returning that have a chance to maybe bounce around or help you in different areas. So we're, we're definitely – We've got a plan, but we also understand it's spring ball. You know, a lot of these guys we've never worked with before, and so we want to we want to be open minded too, and make sure that we don't discount it, anybody at uh, at a position where they could potentially help our football team. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll look at it as we go through. But I like again, I could send you one right now, and then it'd be blowing up probably in a couple of weeks. So um, we we've got a pretty good idea of where we want to start though. Is there one position group that you'd be willing to share that is most up in the air than any other one, or is that? On the down low. Oh, I mean, there's so many that are up in the air, you know. I mean, you know, quarterbacks up in the air. I mean, I think H-backs up in the air. It's definitely certain positions on the offensive line are definitely up in the air. Uh, you know, we're placing some D linemen. We're placing a couple of linebackers. We're placing two safeties. Um, and and then the flip side, too, is, you know, this is Oklahoma. We brought in some pretty darn good players, and there's been – a lot of them in the past where maybe a guy started the year before and everybody thinks, well, of course, just assumes he's going to start. And uh, and then somebody comes in and beats him out. So uh, that's there's you got to earn it here every single year. And uh, so there, there'll be changes and it'll be it'll be fluid as always. So. Pretty clear that just because you played a lot last year doesn't mean that you're locked in for 2018. Riley wants these guys to earn their spots, and it sounds like there's a chance that some 2017 starters could be usurped come August or September, which I think uh, in our way too early predictions, I think we might have predicted at least one or two positions uh, changing. At least I remember uh, predicting that Buki, Radley, Hiles will end up taking uh, somebody's spot at cornerback. But uh, what are your thoughts on Riley's, Riley's thoughts on the death chart? That was pretty expert coach speak. Uh, that was a very roundabout way to answering your question. Uh, yes, that's basically how we answer your question. Yeah, we have an idea of who it is. Um, and yeah, he, he could have answered that question anyway, but the answer to your question always would have been, yes, of course, we have an idea. Um, so, I, But I, I did think that was a good question, Lee, just to see what... I, I thought it was good just from like a probing standpoint, just to see how his mind works with that stuff. Um, and you could... I. I I, I guess I didn't watch it, but you can kind of hear the the wheels turn in his head. You can see when he when he started listing off positions, the first ones he went to were the positions that he already specifically mentioned earlier in the press conference. So he's he, he's not going to give anything away. He's already he's already good at the coach speak. You can tell that he he <laughs> he, he certainly learned from his mentor Bob Stoops with, with that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I I wanted one position group for him to name, and he ended up naming almost the entire the entire team. Oh, everybody's up for grabs you know I, there's tons of up in the air so uh you know I mean, it wasn't a whole lot but at least uh you know it's nice that he's he's got some names in mind of certain positions and um just excited to see what happens this spring 
Saturday, practice is open. They're allowing media to shoot the first 20 or 30 minutes of practice. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to go because I got to go to Tulsa on Saturday because I got to cover Oklahoma Class 5A and 6A Boys and Girls State Basketball Championship games Riveting. in Tulsa. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, it's going to be a great day. Uh, the first game starts at noon, and the last game starts at 745, which means the last game will probably start at about 830. And uh, unfortunately, yeah, it's I'm – I'm not happy that I'm not going to be able to go because that's the one time I think this entire spring they're going to allow us to go in and watch practice. Granted, it's not going to be a whole lot, but it'd be nice to just get a look at Buki Radley-Hiles and see what he looks like up close and personal. Some of the other guys, Jalen Redmond, the new players, TJ Pledger, Jaqueline Crawford. By my count, Grant, and I could be wrong on this, but I was looking at the roster they handed out today for the, the spring roster. I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players that are – early enrollees that are freshmen on this team i don't know if you've heard any other number but uh, that's the that number that i see right now and uh those eight players will be certainly ahead of the game uh, more ahead of the other guys that end up coming in after uh, after the summer yeah and that's actually always you know that's always my main concern during spring is 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 i i want to look at the early enrollee guys um and also maybe you know the guys from the past um, the past recruiting classes, see how their how their bodies have transformed. Um, yeah, Leo. Over the course of spring, I I, I do want to get a look at those the, the freshmen coming in because I mostly I want to see if their bodies are ready for for major college football, and because I think that's a big deal. Um, and so just looking at you know looking at heights and weights, you can you can sort of get an idea because it looks like Jalen Redmond is probably physical physically ready. Buki Radley Hiles is a pretty thick guy. He's probably physically ready. Ronnie Perkins looks the part for sure, but you know, it, it is always interesting to see once they get in pads, what they look like amongst all those other guys, you know, who have been in the, the strength and conditioning program for, for a year or two or three years. So, you know, it'll be interesting for sure. You know, it's is uh, just, just kind of wrap up my thoughts on the press conference. I think overall it was, it was just good to see that site again, you know, linking up at the press conference. It just, it, it's, it's nice. It, it's a nice little gift to get uh, at the beginning of March, especially when we're, when we're so far away from football season starting again. All right, let's talk NFL Combine. We've had a few days to collect our thoughts. Now, remember, six Sooners worked out last weekend in Indy. I think we can break this up into two categories, uh, the, the six players. And at first, I had three categories, and then I thought more about it. And now I've only had, I only have two categories. Three players had great to fantastic Combines, and three others had poor to, dare I say, awful Combine performances. Would you agree with that assessment, Grant? Oh, with a little bit, with some caveats. Yeah, I mean, I think overall you're probably right. There's one player that we're going to discuss that I, that it's it's kind of hard to you know to really get a read on how he did, but we'll, we'll get to that point. But I think I think generally you're right. Yeah. All right. Bad news first, and then we'll hit the good news at the end. We'll start with Orlando Brown. Now it's no secret. He had a really awful day on the field and in the weight room at the combine. The most alarming number. The 14 reps on the bench press, the fewest of all the offensive linemen at the combine. UTEP's Will Hernandez put up 225 37 times, which was the most of all the offensive linemen. Brown's vertical jump, 19 and a half inches, dead last for O linemen. And then, of course, his 58540, which was, quote, historically bad, according to Mike Mayock. Brown also, he looked clunky out there. Not very athletic during the on-field drills. Not surprising, though. The guy is six foot eight, three forty-five. And just one side note: Lincoln Riley was asked about 
the combine at his press conference on Thursday, specifically about Orlando Brown's performance. And Riley said, yeah, I thought he'd test a little bit better, but really Orlando is not a guy that's going to ever test well. Just look at the film, and that's where you see his his effectiveness and, and where he's good. So so Riley backed up his guy, as you expect, and, and he's right. He's right. I mean, uh, basically, to, to continue talking about Brown, though, the, the narrative on him is that he really cost himself at the Combine. He may not be a first-round pick anymore. And Grant, you, you totally called this one. Last week you said you wouldn't be surprised if Brown didn't test well in Indy. What are your thoughts on how he fared at the Combine? I think he actually fared... Uh, worse than I was anticipating. I, I didn't. I, I didn't think he would be, you know, at the very bottom of all of this stuff. I, I thought maybe he would just kind of have mixed reviews, and um, I, I didn't. I don't know if I first saw as you know it being as catastrophic as as it was kind of made out to be. But um, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens w- with Orlando moving forward. I know because just his tape is just outstanding. Um, and you know, his, his biggest asset has never been his athleticism or his strength or anything. It's just, it's how well he uses his own size and he's very good at that. And, you know, I think a lot of people would probably be concerned about that going to the NFL, but I guess one of the good things is, is that in the NFL, he's still going to be bigger than everybody. Um, so he'll, you know, theoretically still be able to use his size, but you know, I, I'd be, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a tad concerned about his NFL prospects at this point in time. He just, he, he really didn't look like a professional athlete out there. And so I I think that's why, uh, you know, that's why people are concerned. I was surprised, of course, like many people that he fared so poorly. Uh, but again, I think this is classic film versus combine. And yeah, you'd like Brown to be way more athletic than he is. But for whatever reason, that didn't really prevent him from being dominant at Oklahoma. He was the Big 12's offensive lineman of the year twice, an All-American twice, never missed a start. In fact, he started all 40 games in his career at left tackle. I think the main thing, I don't know I don't know where he's going to get drafted. I don't know where he's going to go. Maybe he'll fall out of the first round. It certainly seems like he will now. I, was, I saw some reports that maybe even like, third or fourth round which sounds incredible uh in a bad way i totally understand if nfl teams are scared off by this combine performance but a 40-yard dash not that important for a tackle 14 reps in the bench press though is bad brown's long arms though and huge body seem to have helped him succeed a lot on the field i think it's fair to question his work ethic though considering the combine is pretty important and he didn't look at all ready for the spotlight But ultimately, the ceiling for Zeus is high. Teams will watch the tape. They'll see the durability. Baker Mayfield had his back at the combine as well. It makes sense, of course, because Brown had Baker's back for three years. I think Orlando's going to be just fine in the pros. I mean, he's going to be motivated even more now than ever because of all the people doubting him. His dad, Orlando Brown, was a a NFL veteran at one point made a lot of money one of the best tackles and he was undrafted out of South Carolina State I believe so he was a player that I'm sure a lot of scouts thought was maybe too big because he's built a lot like Orlando I mean they're both massive massive human beings I'm sure that a lot of scouts thought ah, he's too big he's not that athletic but he ended up being an NFL player for a long time of course unfortunately he was hit in the eye with a flag and he missed some time and that that was a real bad situation but uh he went undrafted so I mean it's hard to imagine this Orlando Brown not getting drafted. And uh, I think he, I read somewhere where he, he told his dad that, you know, he, he was going to be, he, he vowed to be a, a 10 year vet in the NFL and a hall of famer at some point. So, I mean, I know talk is cheap, but uh, 
he's going to be certainly motivated, and uh, whoever ends up getting Orlando Brown could be getting a uh, diamond in the rough. Well, I, I, I think they're they're certainly going to. I, I, he's going to be a successful run blocker in the NFL. I mean, that's where I think that's kind of the misnomer about him is how he swallows people up, maybe in, in pass protection. But his his strength is as a is as a run blocker. This is a guy, you know, the last. This this entire year, though, I mean, they kind of had a revolving door at running back. I think people forget about that with with Rodney Anderson going out, you know, in the second half of the year and being so impressive. But before that, they had a revolving door, and all of them were productive running behind Orlando Brown. And every you know everyone has been productive the last three years running behind Orlando Brown. I think he's a guy who's probably going to play on the right side in the NFL, but you're going to get a guy instantly who I think you can run behind. He's going to be a very good run blocker in the NFL. Um, so. Whether or not, you know, and of course, that's not as that's not as valued as more in the NFL. You know, everyone wants that that pass protecting left tackle to to protect your, you know, the franchise quarterback's blind side. And um, I, I think he, he is going to have to improve and probably lose a little weight to be able to to block NFL pass rushers. But but from the get go, I mean, if, if, if you need to get a couple yards, just run behind Orlando Brown. And I still think he's going to be very successful at that you know, at the NFL level. Next up is Jordan Thomas, who outside of one drill did not have a great week in Indy. In fact, he had a bad week in Indy. But hey, let's start with the positive. Thomas absolutely shattered the NFL combine record in the three cone drill. Thomas completed the drill in 6.28 seconds. The previous top time, top time, 6.42. Now, what does the three cone drill measure, you ask? According to Wikipedia, it measures agility, quickness, and fluidity. So congrats to Jordan Thomas for that. Unfortunately, though, his 40 time was not great. Officially clocked at 464, sixth worst of all the corners and safeties. And his four reps on the bench press were the fewest of all the defensive backs. Uh, JT's vertical jump was pretty good. His broad jump was middle of the pack. On the field, he actually he looked decent on the field. He high pointed a few balls, but he did drop another pass right into his hands in one of the drills. For a guy who needed a stellar week in Indy, I don't think he did himself many favors uh, unless a team is really putting a lot of stock in the three cone drill. So is this the guy that maybe you and I disagree on? Like, what did you think about JT? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, I'm going to have to push back on something you said. You said outside of one drill, he didn't do well. That's, that's just not true. You, you were, you know, you were right with the three cone drill. He had the, you know, the best ever. He had the best three cone drill ever in the history of the NFL combine. Um, Also the, he was at he was in the 92nd percentile in the 20 yard shuttle. He was in the 95th percentile of the 60 yard shuttle. So he was in the top five of all defensive backs in both of those as well. Not to mention his, his he's he's big. He, he's got he's got good size. He's in the 70th percentile in height, 81st percentile in wingspan. He's got long arms. Um, his hand size is in the 77th percentile. So and you said yeah you know he he did have a bad 40 yard dash and so I I guess we know why he got burned so much. You know that's what happens when you. When you have a guy who runs, you know, probably in pads, damn near four seven, playing cover three, um, I, I look at all of his, I, I, I look at all of his, um, I look at all of his numbers here from the combine. Lee, this is, he's a prototypical cover two press corner, and I people are gonna like that. He's he, he breaks on the ball quickly, and he he might be a ball hawk. Uh, he, he's a potential ball hawk. Um, so and, you know how many. Uh, and, and you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm trying not to go overboard here. He's still, he's still, he's, I, I'm still not going to say he's, he's for sure going to get drafted, but with stuff like this, I would not be surprised at all if a team, you know, takes a late round flyer on him and he, he has put good tape. 
you know, he, he, he has put good tape out there, uh, you know, at, at times 2017 obviously was a disaster, but, um, I, I, yeah, he certainly did not have a disastrous combine by any stretch of the imagination. When you, when you break a record in a three cone drill, which is, which is a pretty important drill for a defensive back. Um, you know, that's, that's not having a bad combine and, you know, it's, I, I would like to know, I, I don't know what happens with the 60 yard shuttle. I'm curious how you can, how you can be in the 95th percentile in the 60 yard shuttle, but then in the seventh percentile, uh, in your 40 yard dash, that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Okay. Well, maybe I'm being a little too hard on him. Maybe and, I am. Uh, yeah. And so I, I look at these and physically uh, Jordan Thomas did himself a lot of favors. You know, I, I think there it, it, it just takes one team with the right scheme to think, hey, this guy is this guy looks the part, at least physically. I mean, why not take a small well, little strength seventh could be round an issue, though, because I can I can totally see teams being scared of that four bench press rep because yeah, what happens whenever he, he can't get off blocks, he wide receivers are just all over him and he can't use his strength to shed and, and come up and make a tackle in the run game. I mean, sure. I mean, maybe he's he's certainly a better player and well. He's projected as a better player in pass coverage. Uh, we didn't see it in 2017. Uh, it's just, yeah, I, I'd be surprised if he got drafted. I really would. I, but uh, NFL.com did list him as a sixth or seventh rounder, though, potentially. What if, what, during OU's Pro Day, and I'm not sure when OU's Pro Day is. I think it's in April sometime, right? I'm not positive. No, it's uh, next week. Oh, it's next week already. Okay, my mistake. What if he comes out and he runs a 4-5 at the Pro Day? I mean, it depends on who's there, but yeah, I mean that that would certainly help him. Well, I, I a lot of people are. I mean, when you break the combined record for the you know for the three cone drill like he did, pe- people are going to be interested in what he does at the pro day for sure. All right. So I, I'm not like, and every everyone knows. I I mean, I don't think anyone was as hard was harder on Jordan Thomas than I was over the course of the season. So I I I just I want him to do well, and I, let's let's hope. That maybe he was just put in, in in bad situations at OU, and he has a good NFL career. That's what I'm hoping happens. All right, now on to Dimitri Flowers, and he had a poor combine as well statistically. I, I you know we'll see we'll see if Grant has more pushback on on Flowers. And I you know what I did some research on this today, and I thought he had a little better showing, but looking more into it, mm, I, it didn't look that good. Of course, he's not a true running back. But Flowers did work out with all the other running backs. So he's at an immediate disadvantage there. His official 40, 483, slowest time of all. Uh, guys like Carrion Johnson and Josh Adams from Notre Dame didn't run. So at least Flowers ran. Those guys didn't even put their 40 on tape. Josh, uh, Josh Adams does not look very fast at all on the football field from Notre Dame. Uh, maybe he's a lot faster than, than he looks. Uh, anyways. He was also last in the three-cone drill. He was tied for last in the broad jump for the running backs. Again, not a true running back. Probably more of a tight end at the next level. H-back, of course. But still, even if you compare him to tight ends that worked out the combine, Flowers' numbers don't really stack up that well. Uh, you know, He might be a player like Orlando Brown where his film is more valuable than his testing at the combine. And, of course, we all know that Flowers' football IQ is off the charts. He's able to play so many different positions. Uh, were you disappointed in Flowers' combine workout? I don't know if disappointed is the right thing. I, I guess I, I don't know if I expected him to to test incredibly well. I mean, 
he's a fullback, so yeah, I mean, yeah, these these things are are slightly concerning, especially. I I, I think I did. I, I was hoping that he would run a better forty. Um, you know, that four eight three. That's that's not good. So you know, we'll see. He, he's another guy who's who's put out a lot of good film, and he's. I think he's going to interview well, and he said with his football IQ. So you know, he was always going to be a late round draft pick if he did get drafted, and you know, it's. How many? I I think he's made perfectly for that position in Lincoln Riley's offense. Um, it's just how you know which which team in the NFL is is going to ad, is going to adopt that position and add him in there. And I think that's what it comes down to. But he's a guy who's going to get a shot. It's just a matter. It's all of what you know he makes of his shot. I don't think he's ever going to be an overwhelmingly successful NFL player. And he's certainly going to be a player that, if asked to do anything, he will do it. Yeah, on the field. it, it turned. No I mean, yeah, it. he might he might just be a special teams ace his entire career. So, and that there's there's value in that. That's fine. So, I, we we love Dimitri Flowers. I, I wish he was a you know I, I I wish he played for OU for the rest of his career. That would be awesome. And that <laughs> and that H back role because they they need him. All right, now to the guys who had really nice to great combines. We'll start with Oboe. His four seven seven forty was middle of the pack for edge players in Indy. That's the position group that he was assigned to. His 27 reps on the bench, second only to Kylie Fitz from Utah. Oboe had a 38-inch vertical, which was good enough for second place in his position group. And his broad jump was 121 inches, which was tied for sixth. So the testing, pretty well for Oboe. Now, I didn't see much of his on-field stuff, but overall, based off of that, I'd say the guy helped himself, especially coming in at six foot one, 253. Now, Obo, that weight, definitely a little heavier than I thought he was. So maybe he put on a little bit of muscle throughout the entire season. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's a guy that will definitely get a shot. Yeah, I don't think he did anything to hurt himself at all. He was always going to be uh, probably a niche pass rusher, I, I would assume, at the next level. And I, I don't think he did anything to um, to derail that at all. You know, Obo looks good. He, he continues to look probably like a second or third rounder. All right, now back to offense. Mark Andrews, really nice combine. Initially, we thought he ran a 4.5940, but officially it came in at 4.67, tied for second best among tight ends. 17 bench press reps, not great, not terrible. His vertical and broad jump were towards the bottom of the tight ends as well, but I saw a lot of Andrews on the field. He looked really smooth appeared to have very soft hands catching passes, which he's come a long way. Because I remember back early on when, when Andrew was playing Grant, and maybe maybe I just watched some bad games, but it seemed like he dropped a lot of passes early on in his career. Didn't really see that a whole lot in 2017. So I think he's improved his hands quite a bit. He, ra- he ran the routes very crisply. I think it's between him and Penn State's Mike Gusecki. Gusecki's probably going to go higher because – he was faster than Andrews and he even benched more than Andrews, which I guess that's not surprising because Andrews, his bench was a little kind of on the lower side. Uh, but overall, nice weekend for Mark Andrews. What did you think about Andrews' performance? Yeah, the thing that really stood out to me just watching him run, he looked fast when he was running. I, I didn't... Um I didn't really expect that. He he looked he looked very fluid and athletic when he was running, and that helps. I didn't really see any of the on-field drills. I didn't see him catch anything. I, I mean, I know he can catch, so um, I, I guess he he's another one of those guys who didn't do anything to hurt himself really at all. I don't think. Um, I, I think it's more of just the guys around him probably impressed more. Someone like Mike Gesicki, um, who I've now seen in in you know a number of of mock drafts in the first round now, and I haven't seen Andrews anywhere, so. Um, I, I think I think at this point it's probably pretty safe to assume that Andrews is is probably not going to be a first round pick, um, but that 
is not always a terrible thing. Maybe that could, that can mean that he'll he'll go to a better situation. Um, I, I've always thought, you know, it, for him, the the best comparison with Andrews is, is someone like Travis Kelsey uh, of the Chiefs. And I know, you know, Kelsey was was a mid round draft pick as well. He wasn't a high draft pick, so um, it, it, it's all about where he goes and, and who can utilize his skill set. And I think. Andrews has a really good opportunity to, to be in a good situation in the NFL, and I think that's that's going to make all the difference. And finally, we get to Baker Mayfield, who had a fantastic combine in Indy. It all started off, he measured in at six foot five eighths, 215 pounds, which was kind of weird because at the Senior Bowl, he was six foot three eighths. So I guess he, he gained a, a couple, like a, a quarter inch since the Senior Bowl, uh, which is just kind of a bizarre thing that happened. Uh, obviously some sort of measurement error or, or whatnot there. Or maybe the shoes were on or off. I don't know. But anyways, Baker is closer to six one than he is to six foot, so that's good. I watched Saturday's on-field workouts. Remember last week I said it's it's uh, must-watch TV, which I did watch it live, so I followed through with that. I don't know if you watched it or not, Grant. But I uh, actually did. I Of course, I, I, <laughs> I, I ripped you last week, and then once it actually all started, yeah, I was like, okay, this is worth watching, and I did watch it, so... I apologize for ripping you up and down. Well, the thing is, once I actually got to the on-field stuff, it goes by pretty quick. And it's interesting because you see all these guys, except for Darnold, which it's super annoying that Darnold didn't throw. But Mayfield, supremely accurate, as expected. And it was interesting because as the throws got deeper and deeper down the field, it seemed like his accuracy improved with every single throw, with every single distance. His official 40 time was 4.84, which was slower than I anticipated it would be. A uh, little bit faster, I think, than what you thought it'd be, Grant. I think you would you guess like four nine for Baker. Yeah, something and, like uh, that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I mean, not bad at all for a forty. Uh, his three cone drill, his twenty yard shuttle, also near the top of the quarterbacks in that position group. Just another great weekend for Baker Mayfield. Of course, a lot of talk about his media, his interview uh, availability. He was super confident cocky during his interviews i'm sure some of you heard his comments about being the most accurate passer by far and if anybody could turn the browns around it would be him some people don't like that some people do as of now i think he's the best quarterback in this class and i'm starting to think that mayfield might go number one overall to either the browns or if the browns trade it who knows grant your thoughts on mayfield's combine oh i thought he did a great job and i i did want to bring this i i, I didn't mention this in my opening take lee but um, I, I do want to, to touch on athleticism concerns, I guess, with all of the, you know, the, the three quarterbacks that we mentioned a lot, uh, per, per combine results, Lee, athletically, there's, there's really no difference between Mayfield, Darnold and Rosen at all. And if anything, it's, it's, it's Mayfield is, is a tad more athletic than both of them. Um, so I, 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 I really wish that that, uh, that that talking point would die. Uh, Baker Mayfield's a better athlete than both Darnold and Rosen, so or at least a more fluid athlete. Those two guys are bigger, and that that's about it. So I, I just I, I really wish that 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 narrative would die. But other than that, I, I thought Baker was great. You know his his on field stuff uh, looked good. You know he he looked like Baker Mayfield throwing the ball. I wish he would get rid of that stupid necklace he was wearing. That was stupid. Yeah, that was that was kind of weird. But I mean, I mean of course, I, I mean, didn't anticipate that. Yeah, I mean that's that's weird. I mean, who knows? He might wear that thing underneath his pads every single game yeah. and whatnot. I, I mean, I don't know. But um, I I thought he did a, he did a great job. I I'd mentioned Brady Quinn, and of course in that interview that I sort of that I sort of ripped up and down a little bit. He did mention at the at the top of his hit that Mayfield impressed quite a bit in the interviews. At least he impressed him uh, along with with Josh Rosen, and that, that doesn't surprise me at all. I think 
Baker has had some has clearly had some issues and you know some some problems with the law on one occasion in his career. Um, but I, there's there, there, there's just a lot of positives that I think uh, um, there's a lot of positives that that obviously overshadow any of the negative things. And anyone like us who have who has followed him for the last three years, we know that we know he's a high character kid. Um, and obviously physically throwing the football, I, I think he's 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 obviously the most accurate there. I mean, what he said was true. So I think it was a Colin Cowherd came out and said, "Well, I don't, I don't know if he's the most accurate. That's asinine. He is absolutely the most accurate. Um, any anybody claiming that he isn't at this point in time is not doing their homework." Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about. Where do you stand on Baker Mayfield and how confident he is? Because yeah, that was a, a point on Cowherd's show last week, and he had Joel Klatt on, who we all know. We've talked about Joel Klatt on this podcast before. We, we like Klatt, and, and he likes Oklahoma. He likes Baker Mayfield a lot, so he kind of he acts as the guy that defends Baker Mayfield to Colin Cowherd, who who is has second thoughts, or not second thoughts, but he's doubting Baker Mayfield. He compares him to Johnny Manziel a lot, and to be fair to Colin Cowherd, his, history is on his side when it comes to this. I can totally understand how somebody like Colin Cowherd, who has not watched every single snap of Baker Mayfield, has not followed the team as closely as you or I have, or anybody in the Big 12, I can see how somebody like him can look at Baker Mayfield and think Johnny Manziel because it makes sense. Because if, if you have that surface level kind of uh, analysis or, or that 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 idea of Baker, of Mayfield, it makes sense. It really does. Uh, but whenever you have more information like you and I do, where we've seen all the throws, we've seen all the film, we've seen how he's acted, and sure, he's acted like an idiot sometimes, and other times he's acted just fine, and he's acted like a leader, and and. So I, we have the whole, I guess, idea of Mayfield, whereas he does not. So he also, yeah, he, Clat, to, to bring it back to, to Joel Clatt and Cowherd and those who watched it, it was, they played all the sound bites from Baker and, and I don't, I'm probably going to miss some of them, but one of them was, yeah, I'm the most accurate by far of these quarterbacks. If there's anybody uh, that can turn around the Browns, it's me. Um, I'm a leader. I, I'm a winner. Uh his attitude is infectious, he said, blah, blah, blah. And and so Klatt's rebuttal to Cowherd, you know, because Cowherd was not happy about that because it was very cocky, it, and he wanted him to be more, um, I guess... Well, he like you know. Well, to, you know, Cowherd. Down a bit. He says he, you know, we like our presidents to be presidential, and we like our quarterbacks sure, to be quarterbacky. Sure. That's his thing, and I, you know, that's his bit. And, and that's so, and, and he played Sam Darnold's response to hey, because he likes Sam Darnold a lot. Cowherd does, as, as anybody that listens to his show knows, and he's liked Darnold for a long time, and I, I do too. I like Sam Darnold a lot too. I think he's a really good quarterback. I just think Baker Mayfield right now is a better quarterback than Sam Darnold, uh, but. Uh, he played Darnold's answer whenever they asked, "Hey, why are you the like? You know, what do you think about yourself, or are you the best?" And Darnold was very, uh, kind of not shy, but uh, passive in a way. And, and to me, it, it Cowherd said that he liked his answer, and, and it was kind of a, a, a he answers it right and well. But to me, it came off if you heard it, it came off as he was kind of he was not very confident in his own self. I mean, he kind of stumbled a little bit. Uh, he wasn't necessarily prepared for the question, and to me, it. it I liked Baker's answer a lot more because Baker is just like, yeah, I'm really good. And the thing with Baker Mayfield is that we all know he's been like this for three years, but the thing is he backs it up. And once he doesn't back it up, once he stops backing it up, then he will be ripped for it, which he deservedly so will be ripped for. But as long as he continues to play well and show that he actually is as good as he says he is, I have no problem with him talking like the way he talks. I don't either. I mean, that's that's part of his thing. You know, I, I've... 
I, I think I've brought this up numerous times, especially over this past season. I, some of his antics bother me, and they have for three years. Um, and so this is not exactly how I, you know, how I would envision my perfect prototypical quarterback. But Baker's just being Baker. You know, this is what he's always done, and he, he does back it up. I don't, I don't think he's ever said anything that is untrue. I think he, he, is, he is unabashedly trying to tell the truth about himself. Um, he's a really confident guy, and so I'm, you know, I, I I will readily admit that I don't like, I don't love all of his antics, and I never have. But you know, there there's something about this guy that he's right. He's it's infectious, and he's just he's so easy to root for. Um, and I'm when he's on your team. When when he's when he's on my team, you know, this and is he's acknowledged that before. He said he said before if if I you know if if I was on a different team, I'd hate me too or, or whatever. I'm paraphrasing the quote, but. Uh, and and just yeah. I, I I maybe I need to reemphasize it that I, I just I, I I really am not crazy about his antics that he's had for all three years at OU I'm not but he is he's just been so good that it's it's easy to dismiss and he does he backs it up and I I I thought that when we were watching Sam Bradford play nearly ten years ago I thought maybe that was the pinnacle the best we would ever see at Oklahoma nothing would ever be able to top that and Baker did it damn near three straight years and that's insane. So, you know, mm-hmm. if, if anyone can do that and make me feel that way about Sam Bradford, then, you know, hats off. You know, I, I love Baker Mayfield. I'm not, not afraid to admit it. And, yeah, and that was Joel Klatz. Just to finish this talking point up, he, he said, hey, Colin, did anything Baker say there, was anything he said not true? And Cowherd paused for a second, and he, he said, well, the accuracy thing, I, I'm not so sure that he is by far the most accurate, which – to your point you said moments ago is that's not true i mean stats and tape back up that baker mayfield is by far the most accurate quarterback in this class i mean i i'm sure he was talking about sam darnold sam darnold completed about 63 64 of his passes which is very good baker mayfield completed 70 percent of his passes and attempted a lot more nfl type throws than darnold did or at least if anything they were on the same level which i doubt it and he completed based on watching usc's offense and he completed 72 percent last year when he had a bona fide nfl receiver to throw to and mm-hmm. so you know i'm just put put baker mayfield in, in a situation that where he has weapons i mean even as a rookie watch out watch i mean i think a lot of people i've seen the mock drafts i've seen i've seen a mock to the dolphins a lot recently and I, th- I think that would be just a wonderful spot for Baker Mayfield. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm not too crazy about Adam Gase because he's a guy that actually th- wanted to work with Jay Cutler for some reason and saw something in Jay Cutler, which we know what Jay Cutler is. Not good. Ad- Adam, but, Adam Gase has the, has the stamp of approval from Peyton Manning, and that's all I need to know. Yeah, I mean, a guy that, that wanted to bring in Jay Cutler makes me – think okay but well, at the because same time, he was though, familiar he's with never his had a right right i mean sure but i'd rather have some other guy that wasn't jay cutler because he is what he is okay and, you need uh, to you, you need to let everyone know what your obvious biases up front are against jay cutler though because you're not you're not presenting a clear like measured response you know i mean well we don't have time to go into the whole jay cutler thing i mean yeah i'm a i like the bears so i watched jay cutler play for uh, seven, eight, nine years, and he's what he is. He he doesn't ever get better or worse, and he's just not a very good quarterback. So, anyways, uh, at, at the same time, though, Adam Gase has never had a really good quarterback to work with. I mean, Ryan Tannehill, he had him for five minutes. I guess he was there for his rookie year, but, I mean, Tannehill and, and Mayfield, as far as a quarterback talent-wise, it's not really that close. I mean, Tannehill is much taller, but 
Baker Mayfield so much more accurate. He has much more of a dynamic type of player. And basically, all Tannehill has is he has the NFL experience on him, which certainly is worth a lot. Adam Gase made Brock Osweiler damn near competent for one season in Denver. And in, in his in his one full season with Ryan Tannehill in Miami, it was Tannehill's best season. And was he was he was actually a really good quarterback or really good statistically, but still Ryan Tannehill. All right. So, so sure. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely worse spots than Miami. That's for sure. I like the idea of him going to an offensive guy. And yeah, I like the idea of him being able to throw to Jarvis Landry and Kenny Stills if they keep Jarvis Landry. Well, they, he, he just signed the franchise tag today if they don't trade him, I guess. Well, OK. All right, let's move on quickly. Uh, not sure how long we'll talk about this because it's just not very disaster. long, hopefully, because it's depressing. Yeah. OK, so Bedlam basketball happened. OU loses to Oklahoma State in the first round of the Big 12 tournament Wednesday, 71-60. Just sidebar, as we're recording this, Oklahoma State has lost to Kansas in the quarterfinals, so the Cowboys are out as well. Uh, Just throwing that out there. So so we do know that Oklahoma is out, and now Oklahoma State's out of the Big 12 tournament. Anyways, the Sooners' resume is complete. 18-13 overall, 8-10 in the Big 12. Plus, they lost, of course, that first round game to Oklahoma State in the Big 12 tournament. Obviously, the Oklahoma won a lot of big games early in the year, but if not for a nice home win over Kansas State and a meh home win over Iowa State recently, the Sooners would be 16-15 and 15 overall and on a 10-game losing streak. I know Lenardi, Jerry Palm, and others say that Oklahoma is in this tournament, the NCAA tournament, but even if that's true, this Oklahoma team should not be in at all. What do you think, Grant? Well, I mean, I, I it depends on what your criteria is. If your if your criteria is like as you know as of March twelfth or whenever Selection Sunday is, our goal is to pick literally the sixty eight best teams in the country. Then no, I don't think OU deserves to be in. If they're if they're tasked with picking the sixty eight best resumes, or I, I suppose the thirty four best resumes or whatever with for the at large teams, then yes, they they do deserve to be in because they still have a lot of quadrant one wins, which is the the committee's number one criteria this year. Um, I, I think I think the best way to split the baby in the situation, barring a, a ton of um, a, a ton of upsets in the conference tournament, you know, in uh, conference tournament winners taking bubble teams as spot, uh, barring anything like that. I think the best way to handle the situation for the committee is just to split the baby. I think because OU does have a resume that is good enough to be in the tournament. In fact, their resume is probably their resume is is that of probably an eight or nine seed somewhere around there but obviously they they are they have not been a good team for about two months now the best way to split the baby in my opinion is make them play their way into the tournament I I think they should obviously be in Dayton for one of those play-in games Um, I I think that's the fairest way to go about it yeah that makes that makes total sense and you brought that up to me yesterday we were texting and and I hadn't really given that much thought but it, it makes perfect sense I agree because in that scenario I've been saying that and I'm not the only one. I'm sure a lot of people think this as well. I mean, a big reason why Oklahoma is going to be in this tournament is because of Trey Young. The selection committee wants to get Trey Young in the tournament. Uh, so if you put them in Dayton, at least you're getting Trey Young in prime time one time. And then, heck, Oklahoma gets a chance. Hey, if you're good enough, you can win. You can go play in the in the real big dance starting Thursday and Friday. Uh, if not, at least we got him one game in prime time so people can watch Trey Young play. Uh, the thing with that, that's... I'm not even sure if Trey Young is that much of a draw anymore because watching this team play, Grant, they're not even fun to watch anymore. It's it's so different than it was two months ago whenever, yeah, 
I've never the defense I, wasn't great. Yeah, but I've, at least Trey Young was putting up forty, and it was the whole team was fun to watch. But now it's just, ugh, it's it's not even fun anymore. I've I've never seen a, a more dramatic one eighty from going from being legitimately the funnest team in the entire country to watch, bar none, to being it, it just I I can't even I didn't even watch the game last night because I, I it's they're they're impossible to watch. Uh, they're just the the lack of effort on the defensive end is is just is atrocious. Lee, they were they were out rebounded last night, fifty three to twenty seven, eighteen to five offensive yeah. rebounds, yeah. Um, outscored nineteen to two second chance points. That's why they lost the game. Everything else was was totally even. They lost because they got out hustled uh, for rebounds, and that's that's totally unacceptable. Especially this time of the year where they're, I mean, they're playing for their their tournament lives but it's almost like they don't even really want to make the tournament at this yeah, point. Yeah, and I saw, you know, Bob Prisbillo over at Sooner Scoop, he had some kind of some quotes from the locker room after the game. Didn't sound good. It sounded like they're totally checked out and even if they do get a get a bid in the tournament, it's going to be a, a a very short stay. Um and, and I think, you know, that's one thing. Maybe this is this is a, you know, I I think Sooner fans probably just shouldn't be too too bent out of shape about this either way, you know, if they if they do get in, I'm Sorry, to say, they're not going to win a game, even if they do get in the tournament. Um, they're, they're just they're just a bad basketball team right now. In fact, I don't even know if they can win an NIT game if they're in the NIT. Um, so, unless unless the game's at home, they 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 have to be at home to win a game. So, um, and it, you mentioned uh, some quotes sound like the team's checked out. Um, I think, and this is not breaking any news. Trey Young seems to have checked out as well, and I'm sure this entire season really weighed on him heavily. He's going to declare for the NBA draft. He'll be a lottery pick, I'm sure. So congratulations will be in order for him. And this is just me. This is my opinion. He hasn't announced anything. And, and he made it pretty clear the last week or so that he has not made a decision yet or nothing's official, which, of course, why would he make a decision yet? Because uh, March is here and, and he wants to win games, you would think. But anyways, it's just disheartening to watch the progression of this season with Trey Young. Because you think back. You think back to November. Trey was saying all the right things. He would constantly talk about his teammates and the postgame pressers about how they made him look good in games. And he constantly said all he wanted to do was win and do whatever the team needed to do to win. And, and he was talking about national championship. But as the losses have piled up, Young's media opportunities have shifted from do whatever for the team to I and me a lot. And he got to, po- you know, he got to the point where it seems like He's more concerned with individual accolades and not team success. And, for example, back on Sunday, he was asked, and this was, of course, after they found out that they are playing Oklahoma State and everything like that, and, and he won the Big 12 Freshman of the Year Award. He was asked, hey, you know, what's it like? You know, how's it feel to be the Big 12 Freshman of the Year? And, and it was intended to be a positive question, you know, him to talk about, hey, you know, it's, it's of course it's great, and I, I feel good about it. But he was... He wasn't happy because he was disappointed that he didn't win the Big 12 Player of the Year. And you could you could kind of see in his face and in his tone that it was really a it really hurt him that he wasn't the Big 12 Player of the Year. And the fact that he was the Big 12 Freshman of the Year almost like didn't matter that much to him because he he wanted more. But that's an individual award. And to me it just kind of came off as like, man, this this seems so different than it did 3 months ago when in the post game he would it always was just about I'll do whatever I can do for the team to win, 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 win. And then now the losses pile up and, and he was disappointed about being the big 12 freshman of the year. Cause he wasn't the big 12 player of the year. So it's just, it's just tough. It's difficult to watch it unfold before our eyes. And so 
so little amount of time. I almost have to to think at this point there's got to be something dr- dramatically wrong in the locker room. I, I have to. There's a chemistry problem with the team, I think. Um, who, who who knows if that has to do with, with Trey Young um, and maybe the attention he's gotten and all that stuff. I, I hate to think that way, but it's just the, the team has no... It's, the team just has no fight, it seems like, and they seem soft. Um, and so I, I, I hope, you know, they can get hot and, and go on a run in March. But, I mean, it's just obviously the writing's on the wall. That's just not going to happen. So, you know, I, I think um, I, I think a lot of Sooner fans are going into Selection Sunday probably thinking, well, you know, it'd be nice if they make it. But I don't think anyone would be too disappointed if they didn't because, really, I mean, it, this team's just really hard to watch right now. The last thing for me, I – I can't reconcile if this happens, if Oklahoma State is left out and Oklahoma is in, to me that that won't make any sense at all. And it seems like right now the only thing keeping Oklahoma State down as like on the on the bubble is their RPI, which I, I know you're not supposed to to take into account, you know, what have you done for me lately? It's supposed to be a whole resume the whole entire season. But Oklahoma State, I mean, first of all, they I mean they beat Oklahoma two out of three times and their records are basically the same and Oklahoma State has more top 50 RPI wins in Oklahoma at this point and they're playing better so it's just I don't care that Oklahoma State technically played I guess a a few extra easy games back in November at this point I just think that they're way more deserving of a tournament bid right now than Oklahoma so I mean if both make it great but if if Oklahoma State is left out and Oklahoma gets in if I was an Oklahoma State fan I would be really mad about that yeah I don't you know, know how you, I'm, how you feel I'm about that I, I would guess it has to be uh because they played you know their their non-conference strength of schedule was 311th I, I have to think that's the reason why um they're on there I mean and, that is the why but that, and, that and yeah and you know I, I I totally yeah and I agree I, I think they I think they deserve a bid I mean they have they, they, they have eight wins over RPI top 50 opponents and I know they they don't really they're not counting RPI as much anymore. They're, they've kind of reclassified reclassified it to like quadrant one wins and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I think Oklahoma State's a better team than Oklahoma right now. I think that's obvious. Um, but at the same time, the committee takes into account the entire uh, body of work. And so, I, I mean, I, I, I understand. I, I think I think there certainly is an argument just because Oklahoma State is clearly a better team right now. But you know the. The games in November and December, you know, unfortunately for them, count just as much as the ones now, and I think that should be the case. As, I think as, also a, a number for Oklahoma State too that helps them is that I mean they have no bad losses this year. They have zero bad losses. I mean you can say Oklahoma's got at least one bad loss with Iowa State, and uh, I mean Oklahoma State has not lost. I think all their losses have come against teams that are projected to be in the NCAA tournament. So uh, I mean they have a I mean outside of that RPI, which I think. The RPI is kind of ridiculous. I think I, I don't have any evidence to back it up right now. I've seen tweets and whatnot. Uh, certainly, people have their own biases and agendas. But uh, man, I mean, I, there's some numbers out there. There's certain teams that have higher RPIs, and you just kind of scratch your head and you think, "How?" I mean, these these guys, their resumes aren't even close to Oklahoma State's resume. Yeah, I'm actually I'm looking at the resume now, and I'm actually kind of puzzled as to how they're not in, like how they're not a lock actually. Or not a lock, but at least on the same kind of Especially level as if, OU. Especially like, if Texas has been kind of a lock, or at least a bubble team for the last two or three weeks. And I mean, and Texas, only, I mean, their best win is what against TCU. Uh, I, mean, I don't think Texas has really beaten anybody something like that. that uh, they beat West Virginia, but um, 
and they they also played a really difficult non-conference schedule. So I, I think th- there's a precedent amongst the committee to to reward teams who challenge themselves in the non-conference, and that's been the case pretty much always. Um, Oklahoma right. Oklahoma, we'll Oklahoma State didn't do that this year. Hey, I I agree. The fact that they that they were able to you know. They were able to win how many, however many games they won in the big in the Big Twelve. That's obviously impressive. Um, you know, I, it's it, it's tough. I, I, I yes, I'm I'm sympathetic to their argument, but at the same time, you know, there's precedent for stuff for this stuff over years and years and years. And you know, when that's the case, what argument do you really have? All right, we've gone long. That's our show. Let's get out of here. Uh, thanks for bearing with us this week. I know it's frustrating when you you didn't see that new episode of West of Evers drop on Wednesday like usual. Uh, hopefully, we'll be back next week at the same time, uh, at, at our normal time, I should say. However, though, depending on NCAA tournament stuff, depending on if Oklahoma gets in, if Oklahoma State gets in, and my schedule gets changed up, and I might have to go somewhere or fill in, uh, time next week might be wacky yet again, so just kind of bear with us. We'll update you on Facebook, so make sure you go over there and like Facebook, and you'll know what the schedule is for next week on West of Everest. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.